Uh, yeah, as Alex said, tonight is going to be a little bit different. Uh, most of you know that this week we have joined together with nine other campus ministries uh, for what we just called the OSU Week of Prayer. And the goal has been to pray uh, continuously, to have someone praying continuously from uh, I think it was 1 o'clock on last Sunday all the way through 8 o'clock this Sunday when, when Easter services start around the city. And so far that has been the case. Uh, we've had for some like 200 different sessions, 30-minute sessions, uh, nonstop since Sunday. There's been somebody praying for the campus, praying for the ministries here, praying for uh, the lost here, and praying for missions and all those things, which is really cool. Um, that is as far as we know, unless... Someone in here slept through their alarm at like two o'clock last night or something like that. Uh, I'm really, I'm not calling anyone out unless it's you and then that's a word of prophecy at you. Um, but uh, that, like as far as we know, that has continued all the way through, which has been really exciting. And what we wanted to do actually was kind of give this night to that same thing. So we're still going to do a little bit of teaching tonight, uh, but it'll be a shortened form. Where we're going to have more time of like extended uh, worship in music and then some time of prayer in between songs that will kind of give you some different prompts which we'll explain a little bit more as we go. Um, for those of you who do not know, as of yesterday, I am officially 40 years old now. Crazy. Which means uh, that I am now at the age that I cannot remember if I have told you guys certain stories or not anymore. <laughs> Uh, which means you're going to have to forgive me if I shared this one with you before. I had this weird feeling that I have, but I don't know, so just go with it, all right? Uh, I had a youth minister in high school. It's only actually during my last semester he came on. Uh, his name was Art Matheny. And uh, for my senior year there, he came and, and just even though I knew him for just a short period, I really loved Art. And, and even in that like six-month period before I went off to school, he invested quite a bit in me. And so I really do, I really uh, admire and respect him a lot. Art was one of the most enthusiastic, uh, energetic, optimistic people I have ever met in my life. And there's this story uh, about a time when Art took a group of students from our church. I had actually gone to college at this point when my brother was there. And he took this group of students on a leadership retreat, just a small group, like eight, nine, ten students, right? And he brings these students on, on this leadership retreat to this small camp outside of Muskogee, Oklahoma, which is my hometown there. And, and he takes them to hang out and do all this stuff. But one of the things they were doing were like team building exercises. And, uh, you know, if, if you do team building exercise with a group for very long, it's not going to be too long before you get to like the most famous of all team building exercises, which is the trust fall, right? And, and everybody knows how the trust fall works. One person stands up with their back to the group. They say something like falling and the others have their hands out, fall on, and then they go back, right? And so this was what they were doing there. And they found this small little kind of three foot retaining wall and they were falling off and, and everyone went through and did their turn. And then it comes to the end to Art's turn. And, and as I said, Art is enthusiastic and energetic and optimistic. And if he's, if he's going to do something, he's going to do it like all the way. And so he decides he wants to really like show these guys, uh, A, that they can trust him, but also B, like how much trust he has in them. And so he goes, nope, we're not doing it here. He says, follow me. And he walks them over to the canteen. And the canteen was essentially just this shack, but that set up on a deck that was about five feet off the ground. Okay, and, and he, he 
lined them up down there off that, and then he began to walk up the steps. And they're all looking at him like, what are we doing here? Because, I mean, Art's not like huge, but he was a full-grown man, and he was, he was like stocky. He was a wrestler in high school, right? So he's just kind of solid, just like a ball, right, falling. And, and so he, uh, he's up there, and he gets on the deck, and they're a little bit nervous about this. I mean, he's bigger than any one of them. But then they get extra nervous when Art decides he's not content to stand on the deck. He then climbs up on the safety rail on the deck. So now he's about nine foot up in the air. And he turns his back to them, and they're all like, no, Art, we can't do this. Don't do this. We don't want to do this. And he's like, hey, hey. And he turns around, and he's like, I trust you guys. <laughs> and they're like, okay. He's like, no, seriously, I trust you guys. So he turns his back to them, and they all put their hands out, and he's like, falling. And they're like, fall on. And Art goes back straight as a board, complete trust. And he goes down and falls, and as you probably expect, straight through their arms and onto the gravel down below, okay? Uh, I mean, just, just hits it, and it's like pandemonium, right? There are kids screaming, there are girls crying, they think they just killed their youth minister, right? And, and he's sitting there, and everyone's like, oh my gosh, I can't believe this, right? And then this really amazing thing happens, where Art gets up, and he dusts himself off, and he looks everybody in the eyes, and he goes, it's okay. I still trust you guys. And then everybody just watches as Art starts to make his way back to the canteen, back up the steps, <laughs> back onto the deck, and then up on the railing again. And everybody just kind of looks at him, and they look at each other, and they just like come together and, and put their arms together. And this incredible moment happens where Art like stands up, turns his back to them, he says, you got this. I trust you. I believe in you. And, and they all put their arms out. And he says, falling. And they go, fall on. And Art goes back. And it was almost like slow motion. And he goes down nine feet through the air. And then straight through their arms, down to the gravel <laughs> again. Hits it again, right? Uh, and Art learned a very valuable lesson that day. That you shouldn't, you shouldn't trust just anybody, Okay. You don't, you don't trust just anybody just because you want to. We're, we're talking tonight, actually, what we want to share with you a little bit about tonight is this idea of uh, prayer and why we can pray. Now, you, you could come up with a lot of different definitions for what prayer is, but I think a, a fairly solid one comes from Psalm 62, verse 8. It's one of my favorite psalms, actually. Uh, all the way through is good, but verse 8 says this. Trust in him at all times, you people. Pour out your hearts before him, for God is our refuge. This is, as I said, I, I think a fairly good definition of what prayer is. Prayer is pouring out your hearts to God and trusting him to do what you can't. God, I don't, I don't know how I'm going to get out of this spot financially. I, I, I've tried to be wise. I, I, I haven't been foolish, but I, I don't got the funds to pay this bill. I don't know what to do, God. And, and I'm pouring out my heart to you. God, I don't know how to overcome this sin that seems to just uh, like tie me up and wrestle me down over and over again. And I'm trying to break free, but I need your help. I'm trusting you. Please, God. Uh, God, I don't know how you tell me to forgive but the, the wounds I've received from this friend cut far too deep, and I'm trying, but I cannot find it in my heart to forgive. Help me out, 
Lord, or, or this. God, we want to see the campus of OSU come to know you. We want, we want people who are dead in their sins to come alive to Jesus Christ, to come alive in Jesus Christ. And that's beyond our ability to do, God. Doesn't matter what we do, we can't do it. And that's what we've been praying this week. We need you to trust in him and to pour out your hearts to him. That's what Psalm 62 says. But what I love about this psalm is that David does not just leave it at that. He didn't just go, hey, trust in him. You should do that. Trust in him at all times, pour out your heart. Actually, if you go a few verses down, he actually tells you why you can. You read through the rest of the psalm, and what David begins to do is list off all the things you shouldn't trust in. Don't trust in people, even if they're good people. He says, don't even trust in important people or rulers. They're not enough. They're not capable enough to take care of you. Don't trust in your wealth. Don't trust in your ability to scheme and get your way through things. Don't trust in any of those things. And then he lands on these verses at the end of the psalm. God has spoken once, and I have heard this twice. That strength belongs to God and faithful love belongs to you, Lord, for you repay each according to his works. Back to the trust fall. Here's the one thing I know about the trust fall. One thing Art should have known about the trust fall is anytime I'm going to do that thing, anytime I'm going to lean back and, and put my body into somebody else's hands, quite literally, I want to know at least, at least two things about those people. First thing I want to know is I want to know that they are strong enough to catch me. I want to know that they are capable because it doesn't matter like how nice they are or, or what they think of me or whether they like me and those things. If they're not strong enough, this isn't going to happen. I want to know that they've got the ability, unlike all those like junior high kids that Art flung himself back at, I want to know that they're capable of catching me and taking care of me. But the second thing I want to know is that they care about me. Because if, if they're really strong and they don't actually love me, and they don't like me very much, then it doesn't matter. All the strength in the world is not going to keep me off the ground if they decide to pull back. I want to know these two things, that they are strong enough to take care of me and that they are loving enough to take care of me. And did you catch that those are the exact two things that G, uh, David just said about God in these verses? God has spoken once, and I have heard this twice. Strength belongs to God and faithful love belongs to you as well, Lord. That's why you trust him at all times, O oh people. That's why you pour out your hearts to him, because he's strong and he's loving. And that's what we want to talk to you about tonight. Uh, those two things, just briefly, uh, I'm actually going to talk to you about God's strength. Uh, Jonas is going to come up in a little bit and talk to you about God's love. And the reason that we can pray to him is because of those two things. But let's settle in on this one for just a second. You pray to God because God is strong. God is powerful. And I know that that statement sounds so obvious that it's almost not worth saying, or at least it feels like it's not worth saying. Of course he's powerful. He's God. Of course he's strong. He's God. That by definition, for him to be God, he has to be powerful. We all know this. We all get this. So why say this? The reason we say this, actually, let me just tell you the reason that I need to say this is because I can, find it, I can find it easy to agree with that statement in my mind, and yet for some reason it's often really hard for my heart to catch up with that. Like I, I, I know the truth. I know that God is strong. I know that he's in control. I know that he is powerful and able to do all things, and yet if you watch my life, 
Doesn't always look like it. I got lips that speak out, God is strong. But I got anxieties that tell me different. With my lips, I will say God can do anything, that he is powerful, but, but my anxiety will tell me he can't help me. I'm going to have to figure this out on my own. I've got lips that like to sing God is my refuge, but my heart says something like a bigger savings account would probably be a more secure refuge. You know what that's like? You get that, that dissonance between heart and head sometimes? It's like, I know these truths. I've heard them all since I was a kid, and yet I, some, I so often live as though it all depends on me. Because it's a lot easier, if I'm just honest, it's easier when I don't know how life is going to go, it's a lot easier to trust in uh, money as a refuge, to trust in relationships as a refuge, to trust in my own hard work and abilities and, and ability to just power through as a refuge. It's a lot easier to trust in things that I can see. And I believe God is powerful, but, but the truth is it's, it's hard sometimes to place my trust in someone that I cannot always see. And I find it so often that even though I'll say it with my mouth, I often live as though everything's going to fall apart if I don't keep my life together. Everything's going to come, uh, come down into pieces if, if I can't make it happen. I'll tell you this, the people of Israel could relate to that. It's something that they dealt with quite often, this idea they believed that their God, that Yahweh, was the one true God, the maker of heaven and earth, the maker of everything they saw. They believed that he was powerful. They believed that he was in control, but they often struggled to believe that he could do anything for them. Believed that he was strong enough to hold to his promises to them. And this was certainly the case in the period known as the exile. The exile is this famous or infamous period of Israel's history where after years and years of turning and rebelling against God, often because they didn't trust him, because they thought that idols, something that they could see with their eyes and, and touch with their hands, it just seemed so much more concrete that if I could give a sacrifice to this thing, that this, the God behind this thing could maybe take care of me. They thought that idols and other things were the ways to go. And so they turned from God for years and years and years and years. And, and the prophets began to warn them, if you will not turn back, if you will not come back, if you will not repent, you're going to face punishment. You're going to face consequences for what you do. And they refused to listen until finally God sends the mighty Babylonian army in 586 B.C. They conquer the region of Judea. They conquer, they sack the city of Jerusalem. They burn the walls, they burn the temple, and they take the people off into exile. For 70 years, the people are in exile in Babylon. And they start to lose hope fast if they ever had any to begin with. I mean, now, now that they've been conquered by their great enemy and now that they're living far away from the land God had promised them, what are they going to do? Isaiah the prophet foresaw this day, both actually. Isaiah foresaw and, and he prophesied about the coming of Babylon if they did not repent. But then Isaiah also actually saw beyond that. He knew that one day they wouldn't repent. One day Babylon would come. And so God allowed him to see past that. And he began to prophesy to the people of God before they even went into exile, knowing one day you're going to need these words. 
You may not know it now, but one day you're going to need these words. And so he began to prophesy about the day that God was going to come and make all things right again and redeem his people and bring them back and that he would send someone who would make things whole again. And yet, sitting there in Babylon, wasting away for decades at a time, the people just wouldn't be able to believe it. (laughs) I mean, listen, if God was really for us, we wouldn't be here in the first place. If God was really for us, then I wouldn't have buried my mom and dad in a foreign land under these pagan rulers. If God was really for us, then then why didn't he save us? If God was really for us, why hasn't he brought us back home if he's true to his word? If God can do anything, then why doesn't he? And so Isaiah begins to speak about God. There's this moment in about two-thirds of the way through the book of Isaiah as he's made these promises, and then he's going to back them up or show that God is capable of backing them up. It's Isaiah chapter 40, which might be a top 10 in, in the Bible, like a top 10 chapter in the Bible for me. It's, it's one that I have found myself coming back to over and over again. And in it, what Isaiah does is he begins to describe this God that Israel follows and knows because he knows that they've lost sight of how good and great this God is. He begins to describe this to them over and over again, which is something that I need very much, this clearer, truer picture for Isaiah, for someone, for the prophets, for the scriptures to come and pull the curtain back and let me see who God really is. And so I think that's why I keep coming back to Isaiah 40. And for the first 11 verses, Isaiah talks about this thing that God's going to do. He's going to come to you. He's going to be there. And then he'll talk about how God is trustworthy and reliable and tender. And then in verse 12, he makes this like shift. And he goes from describing God's goodness and trustworthiness to just God's sheer vastness. He just begins to describe how God is incomparable, like, or everything else is incomparable to him. There, there's nothing, there is no power that comes even close to the mighty hand of the one who sent you here and the one who's going to bring you back, Israel. And he just sits there and he just goes off describing what God is like. And that's what I want to do for the next five, six minutes is just look at some of Isaiah's words and try not to give too much commentary because I just want to let them hit us with maybe a couple little explanations or a couple little extra thoughts on top of those things. Look what he says in verse 12. Who has measured the waters in the hollow of his hand or marked off the heavens with the span of his hand? Who has gathered the dust of the earth in a measure or weighed the mountains on a balance and the hills on the scales? This is a question that is that the the answer is implied. It's there already. Yahweh God, he's the only one who's done any of those things. Have you ever stood next to the ocean and just scanned out over it? And felt small. You know what that is? Sometimes we're at the ocean, we spend all our time hanging out and playing and goofing off. But, but if you ever just pause and look out at the vast expanse of blue and just realize endless goes on far beyond, you can see just how small you are. There are, uh, scientists estimate that there are 352 quintillion gallons of water in the ocean. That is, 352 with 17 zeros behind it, gallons of water in all the oceans of the earth. That's how vast and huge it is. And when God holds out his hand, 352 quintillion gallons just rest right there in the palm. Because that's how big and how vast he is. Have you ever stood out under a night sky full of stars 
and just looked and seen more than you can count. And every which direction you go, it's just spanning all the way across you in, in directions that you can't even imagine, in distances you can't even fathom. Isaiah says, that's just pinky to thumb for God. Takes his hand and spans the entire space over and around this planet. And of course, all of these things are metaphors because the truth is God's so much bigger than that. That the span of the skies, that's nothing. That's minuscule. All the water, every drop of water in the ocean is nothing to God. How big and great and vast he is. Verse 22, he'll shift from God's size to God's sovereignty. Here's what he says there. God is enthroned above the circle of the earth. Its inhabitants are like grasshoppers. And he stretches out the heavens like thin cloth and spreads them out like a tent to live in. He reduces princes to nothing. And he makes judges of the earth like a wasteland. They are barely planted, barely sown. Their stem hardly takes root in the ground when he blows on them and they wither. And a whirlwind carries them away like stubble. Isaiah says God sits enthroned over this earth, over everything. And people mistakenly believe that the history of this planet has been shaped by kings and queens. That everything that has happened on this earth is a result of people in power moving culture or moving armies or moving whatever where wherever they want to do but but the bible is pretty clear that actually over all those kings and queens whatever they may think they're doing god stands saw, sovereign over all of that and people foolishly get nervous about elections and who's going to be president and what that might do to the direction of this country and what all is going to happen as though god is not in control of all things as though there's any president or king who could ever thwart the purposes of god he stands over all of it. He's sovereign over all history. You think he can't handle your life? You think he can't handle, like, what you're going to do this summer? He's overseen thousands of years of history. He's overseen everything. He can handle what happens in your life. He's enough for that. He continues in verse 25. To whom will you compare me? Or who is my equal, asks the Holy One. Look up and see. Who created these? He brings out the stars by number. He calls all of them by name. And because of his great power and strength, not one of them is missing. There are 100 billion stars in the Milky Way galaxy alone. And they say there are 200, or 2 trillion galaxies in our universe. Which would mean if every galaxy holds roughly the same amount, there are 200 billion trillion stars in this universe. And God doesn't miss one of them. Knows about every one of them. Actually, Isaiah says the reason they exist this moment, the reason they're not exploding or imploding in on themselves at this very moment is because God himself sustains 200 billion trillion stars every second. He is that big and he is that capable. You think that if he can't, if he can't go a day without remembering every one of the 200 billion trillion stars, you think he's going to forget you? If he's able to uphold and sustain them, you think he's not able to uphold and sustain you? It is easy to feel small 
when we look at the universe around us, when we stand next to the ocean or next to a mountain range, or when we look up at the sky, it is easy to feel small, and we should, <laughs> because we are. This universe dwarfs us. And sometimes, I don't know if you ever felt this way, sometimes it feels like this universe doesn't just dwarf us. Sometimes it feels like this universe is against us. Sometimes it feels, you ever had just a season of life, just a string of one bad day after another, and it seems like you can't catch a break. And it feels like everything is kind of conspiring together to kind of mess things up for you. Bad days stack up and relationships fall apart and these dreams and goals that you set for your life, you watch them begin to slip through your fingers and now you don't know what's next or what you're going to do. What do you do when it feels like everything in the universe, this universe that dwarfs you, is against you? You know what you do? You turn to the God who dwarfs the universe. Turn to the one God who between his pinky and his, his thumb spans all the stars in the galaxy. The one who holds every drop of the ocean in the palm of his hands. This is what Isaiah says from here in verse 28, jumping down to 28. Do you not know? Have you not heard? The Lord is the everlasting God, the creator of the whole earth. He never becomes faint or weary. There is no limit to his understanding. He gives strength to the faint. And he strengthens the powerless. Youths may become faint and weary, and young men stumble and fall. But those who trust in the Lord will renew their strength. They will soar on wings like eagles. They will run and not become weary. They will walk and not faint. This is the God that you have the privilege of speaking to tonight. This is the God that we have been crying out to all week long. This is the God that sits in this room and that we're about to talk to in the next few minutes and ask him to do big things. This is the God we pour our hearts out to. Ephesians 3 says he is able to do immeasurably more than anything you could ever dream up. And it is good that we remind ourselves of that. And so I'm gonna invite the band up and we're gonna do this right now actually. We're gonna start our time of prayer uh, just reminding ourselves of God's bigness and his greatness. What I want to do is I'm going to read that last section of Isaiah 40 slowly over you again. As I do that, you can close your eyes. It'll be on the screen, and you can read along in the screen there as we do those things. What I want you to do is I just want you to take uh, one phrase, one word about God, one phrase, one idea about God, and I just want you to latch onto it. I don't want you to hold that in your mind. I just want you to roll it around in your mind for a little bit and say it back to God over and over again. Remind yourself of it. We're going to start our time of prayer tonight just in praising him for his greatness and his vastness. So listen in as we read these words. To whom will you compare me? Or who is my equal? Asks the Holy One. Look up and see. Who created these? He brings out the stars by number. He calls all of them by name. And because of his great power and strength, not one of them is missing. Jacob, why do you say, and Israel, why do you assert, my way is hidden from the Lord and my claim is ignored by my God? Do you not know? Have you not heard? The Lord 
is the everlasting God, the creator of the whole earth. He never becomes faint or weary. There is no limit to his understanding. He gives strength to the faint and strengthens the powerless. Youths may become faint and weary, and young men stumble and fall. But those who trust in the Lord will renew their strength. They will soar on wings like eagles. They will run and not become weary. They will walk and not faint. All right, guys, you can go ahead and take a seat for just a minute. So earlier we heard Drew talk about the ability to trust in God because of his mighty and unmatched strength. Well, strength alone is not enough to allow us to put our trust in somebody. Probably many of us can think of someone in our life who has had really good strength or held great authority or power in your life, but you just weren't able to trust them. Maybe this was a selfish boss that you worked for, or maybe even a parent that you couldn't, that, that took authority over your life and controlled you and your family. So just because just God is strong, it doesn't mean that we are able to trust him just because he's strong. And that's why I'm so thankful for Jesus' teacher, teaching on prayer. So today we'll be in Luke 11, uh, verses 9 through 13. So if you want to turn there, you can. It'll also be up on the screen. So I say to you, ask and it will be given to you. Ask and you will find. Seek and you will find. Knock and the door will be opened to you. For everyone who asks receive, receives and the one who seeks finds. And the one who knocks, the door will be opened. Which of you, fa which of you fathers, if your son asks for a fish, you will give him a snake instead? For if, the, if, if he asks for an egg, will he give him a scorpion? If then, though, you who are evil know how to give good gifts to your, to your children, how much more will your Father in heaven give the Holy Spirit to those who ask him? So Jesus right here is using a, an argument, a lesser to greater argument. And this is the same type of argument that he used in Matthew, which is how much greater are the birds, birds in you? You're being taken care of way more than the birds are. And this argument was also used uh, from the Jewish rabbis and the teachers of the law back then. And in the argument, Jesus is comparing us who are evil, sinful humans. And he's taking us who are evil, sinful humans, we're able to give good gifts still. And God, who is sinless, perfect being, he's able to give us even better gifts through his incomprehensible love for us. Did you hear that? We who are evil are even able to give good gifts. Now God, being so much infinitely more better than us, still gives good gifts, better than us, better than our gifts. One last thing I want to point out in this text is some people will actually take this text and be like, oh, I can just ask God for anything, and he'll give it to me. No, that's not the case. Jesus clearly states, good gifts will be given. For a good father knows what his kids need, even if, even if it means denying them something that they want. 
because if you just get given whatever you want and your desires, that's not good. That can be very harmful. A good father gives his children not everything they want, but everything that they need. The, spe the specific example that Jesus gives here is the Holy Spirit. We need the Spirit to live life, to live the life we are called for, called to. And Jesus says all we have to do is ask. All we have to do is accept the gift that is Christ Jesus. So in this text we see, yes, God is strong and he can answer our prayers. But he's also a loving father who wants to answer our prayers. He wants you to accept Christ. He wants you to have the spiritual gifts poured on you. He wants the Holy Spirit in you so that you can do the good works for his kingdom. We can trust God because he loves us. I'll say that again. We can trust God because he loves us. The cool thing is that we're actually in the middle of a week that is all about God's love. Easter's coming up, and that's all about God, uh, God's great love in Christ Jesus from his sacrificial death on the cross and his life-giving resurrection. We see this in John, 1 John 4, 9 through 10. He tells us how we can actually know that God loves us. So if you want to turn there, it's 1 John 4, 9 through 10. This is how God showed his love among us. He sent his, only, his one and only son into the world that we might live through him. This is love. Not that we loved God, but that he loved us and sent his son as an atoning sacrifice for our sins. So if you're ever wondering if, you, if God loves you enough to answer your prayers, well, the answer is yes. But you can also look to the, the, the gospel, the Bible. You can look to the cross. You can look to Jesus' sacrificial death and his atoning resurrection. So we're going to go ahead and read verse 11. And this answers the question of now, since we know that God loves us, what do we do now? So verse 11 says, Dear friends, since God so loved us, we also ought to love one another. With this command to love one another, I thought it was no better time or place, especially with us being in prayer week, than to just pray for each other. Pray for your brothers and sisters in Christ, that they may know that God is there and God loves them. And that they may draw closer to God each and every day of their life. So there'll be a prayer prompt on the screen. So please join me in prayer. <clears throat> 